Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will, be, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowds said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. The Gospel of the Lord. Good morning. morning. Hey, it's great to be with you on Palm Sunday as we enter Holy Week. If you're a guest with us, uh, my name is Drew. I'm the pastor of discipleship. It's really good to see you this morning. I love this day as we prepare for Jesus' entry into uh, Jerusalem. As I was thinking about this passage and what we're going to dive into today, it reminded me that about a month ago I made a decision to go to the gym that I had been paying a year for. Um, They knew me well by my debit card, not by my face. I decided to get back into fitness uh, if you've ever been there and you're like, hey, I need to get motivated, I need to, I need to get back into this, uh, one thing that can be good to do is actually to purchase a bit of gear. It will motivate you and challenge you to actually maybe exercise, work out, whatever you have. So um, I did this. I got on Amazon and I ordered some new workout tees. They arrived, didn't think much of it, in a bag. Um, and I set out to go to the gym after work one day. I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to show up. And so I did. Showed up in the parking lot, went into change, grabbed a shirt, went into the locker room, ready to work out, motivated. And as I uh, put this t-shirt on, I realized that the end of the t-shirt got to about here. (laughs) And it didn't really go over my arms. And it wasn't working out. And uh, I didn't work out that day. (laughs) And if I'm being completely honest, I really haven't been back. Um, (laughs) Honesty check. Here's the deal. Important when you order things on Amazon. One, don't do it late at night. You're too tired. Two, make sure it's not a youth extra large because those will not fit you. Thank goodness we have no pictures. There was no security cameras. But my expectations were not met. Uh, This this was not what I expected, right? Why do I share that with you? Well, we're going to be dealing with that a little bit today as we look at this passage and we see what God reveals that as we enter this Holy Week and this first day, Palm Sunday, Before we get to Good Friday and before we get to Easter, we take time to reflect on Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And with this entry comes a dilemma or a challenge for the people that would actually welcome him in. They would be faced with a question that's the same that we're going to ask ourselves today. For them, it would be, what kind of king did you expect? And to make it a little bit more personal for us, I would ask us this, what kind of king do you expect when it comes to Jesus? 
If his entry into Jerusalem was so well-received and celebrated on Palm Sunday, as we see in this passage, what went so wrong less than a week later? How did things escalate so quickly? Why did the crowds who literally worshiped Jesus on Sunday turn on him five days later? It's a good question, right? The answer that comes in our pastor's day is meant not only to open up uh, our minds and our eyes, but also our hearts. It's meant to both challenge us, because it's not the easiest, but also to encourage us. Because it comes from a God who deeply loves you. Hear that this morning as we start. This God who deeply loves you. He knows you. He knows the tensions. He knows the things that pull at you. And here's what he doesn't want. He doesn't want you to settle for less. So if you would, pray with me one more time, and we're going to dive into this for the next few minutes. Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for your word. Thank you for coming to this earth. Thank you for taking on human form. Thank you for living a life we couldn't live, for giving yourself for us. I pray that through this passage today, we would be reminded of the kind of king that you are, not try to make you into something different. Jesus, would you speak to us through the power of the Holy Spirit? Would you take away any uh, roadblocks, any... um, temptation to push back, to not engage, whatever it may be, would we not dismiss the work that you want to do in each of us and our church as a whole? We pray this Jesus in your name. Amen. All right, so let's dive in here. Matthew chapter 21. It says, now when they drew near to Jerusalem, so Jesus and his disciples, they came to Bethpage, the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you, And immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of the beast of burden. So think about this for a minute. Finally, this prophecy is coming to pass hundreds of years in the making. Finally, the one that Isaiah talks about in the Old Testament, the one that Abraham's life reflected, that Moses' life reflected, that Joseph's life reflected, that generation after generation had been speaking about, that parents had been telling their kids about, that grandparents have been passing down, this Messiah that's coming. Finally, he has come to save. This long-awaited king is here. If you think about this and you put yourself in this context, imagine the excitement. Imagine the celebration that's stirring through this city as Jesus comes. And it says that he came powerfully into the city with an army, ready to be seated on his throne, looking for his palace. No. It says he came to them humbly, not on a horse fit for a king, but on a donkey, which is symbolic, according to Zechariah, of a king who actually comes in peace. So it says the disciples, they went and they did just as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and they put on them their, their cloaks and he sat on them. Check out what the crowd does. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. 
And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting. Imagine this scene. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Imagine this rally cry that's going on. Picture Jesus on this donkey riding. People are doing what? They're worshiping. That's what this is here. What do these acts mean? Hosanna means save now. And we know in our context, Jesus was sent to save. And they knew that a Messiah was coming to save. But the message that they heard was God will deliver the nation from the oppressor. In this case, the people's minds would have gone to Rome. He's coming to release us from the bondage under Roman rule. He's coming to turn things on their head. He's going to overthrow the government. That's what they would have thought. The palm branches and the cloaks, these were significant. The palm branches were the, for the Jewish people were like waving a national flag. It represented Jewish nationalism and victory. This is the kind of king they wanted. The cloaks slain down on the ground represented true submission to a true king. This is so telling of what they wanted, what they hoped for, what they expected Jesus to be. Through these acts, they show that they saw Jesus as Messiah. But what kind of Messiah? And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. This one that had been doing miracles. This one that people have heard of. This one that fed the 5,000. The one that healed you may not know this, but ever since I've read this passage and researched it throughout the years, it, it sticks out because it adds so much to what's going on in this city at this time that there were actually two processions going on that day in this city. It doesn't say it in our passage, but we know it to be true. That in the year 30 AD, so check this out, Roman historians record that the governor of Judea, Pontius Pilate, who Jesus would go before, also led a procession of Roman cavalry and centurions into the city of Jerusalem. In his writing, the last week, one of my favorite authors on this, Marcus Borg, describes it. Check this out. He says, imagine the spectacle of that entry. From the western side of the city, the opposite side from which Jesus enters, Pontius Pilate leads soldiers on horseback and on foot. Each soldier clad in leather armor polished to a high gloss. Each centurion's head wearing a hammered helmet gleaming in the bright sunlight. At their sides, sheaths in their scarabs were swords crafted from the hardest steel. And in their hands, each centurion would have carried a spear. Or if he was an archer, a bow with arrows across his back. Drummers would have been beating out the cadence of march. Because this, no, this was no ordinary entrance into Jerusalem. Pilate is governor of the region, which included not only Judea, but Samaria and Udemia, knew it was standard practice for the Roman governor of a, foreign, for, of a foreign territory to be in its capital for religious celebrations. And this was the beginning of Passover, a Jewish festival that the Romans allowed. However, the Romans must have been aware. Sorry, I lost my spot. Can't say anything about it. Yeah. That the festival they celebrated um, was the liberation of Jews from another empire, the empire of Egypt. So Pilate had to be in Jerusalem since the Romans had occupied this land by defeating the Jews and deposing their king about 80 years before. 
Uprisings were always in the air. The last major uprising long before Pilate's time had been after the death of Herod the Great in 4 BC. This uprising started about five miles from Jesus' boyhood home. And before it was over, the town of Emmaus had been destroyed by the Roman army. After putting down the rebellion there, the Romans marched on Jerusalem. And after pacifying the city, they crucified over 2,000 Jews who were accused of being a part of the rebellion. The Romans had made their intolerance rebellion well known. And so on this occasion, Pilate had traveled with a contingent of Rome's finest from his preferred headquarters in Caesarea by the sea to this stuffy, crowded, provincial city, this capital of the Jews, Jerusalem. There were two processions that day. If Pilate's procession was meant to be a show of military might and strength, Jesus' procession showed quite the opposite. So imagine this, two different kings representing two very different kingdoms. This is a clear contrast here. And although many of the people that were here welcoming Jesus and they thought they sided with Jesus, they did so for the same reason that the Pharisees sided with Rome. They thought Jesus would overthrow Rome. They thought Jesus would make their lives easier, that he would turn the tables, that he would give them what they wanted, what they waited for. Some of these very good desires they wanted a king that looked like Pilate. But what do we know? Jesus is a very different kind of king. You see this through his life. You see this through his ministry. You see this through the Gospels. We have Pilate who comes in on a mighty horse. You have Jesus who comes in on a lowly donkey. You have Pilate who comes in with a massive army. You have Jesus who comes in with 12 lowly disciples. You have Pilate who comes in committed to the protection and power of a certain people. You have Jesus who comes in wanting to be the king of kings to every man, woman, and child, regardless of their country, regardless of their background, regardless of what they have or don't have. You have Pilate wanting men to fear him. You have Jesus spending time with the least of these. You have Pilate who's a swift judge, and yet you have Jesus who's gentle and compassionate. Two very different types of kings. This is why the people turned on Jesus less than a week later. He didn't fulfill their purpose. And so they moved on to another source, another savior. And we're never not moving from one source to nothing. We're always moving from another source to what we think will satisfy and dictates our purpose. As uh, William Law says, all people desire what they believe will make them happy. If a person is not full of desire for God, we can only conclude that he or she is engaged with another happiness. The people wanted an earthly kingdom and a headstrong king to go with it. They had their eyes set only on what was directly in front of them in the immediate here and now, according to their plans and purposes and desires. They couldn't see that what Jesus offered was actually far better than anything this earth could offer. And so their hearts went in another direction. Can you relate with this? I can absolutely relate with this. We constantly find that our hearts, as the hymn says, are prone to wonder, prone to leave the God we love, prone to worship other things in God's place. That when we may not get what we want, when we want it from Jesus, we'll look somewhere else instead of humbling ourselves to this king. I feel this. I know that you feel this at times too. This is the constant tension that we find ourselves in. And I believe that a lot of this, especially in our Western culture here, 
I believe a lot of this can come back to this idea of the American dream or some form of it. Track with me here. This idea that we've been fed years and years over and over again, that the ultimate purpose of our life is to get married, to have 2.5 kids, whatever that means. This house, if you have 2.5 kids, come talk to me after the service. (laughs) To have this house, to have that job, to get this paycheck, to have that title, to take those vacations, to make those memories, to do this and that and the other, that this is our ultimate purpose, that this is what we're striving for, that this is the measure of success, that this is what will make people respect me, that this is what it's all for. This is why I grind. This is why I work. This is what I do what I do. This is why. This is why. And this makes its way into the church and it makes its way into the way that we view Jesus, good or bad, that we get what we want when we want it or we disengage whenever we need to, or whenever we want to. Think about it. There are so many things in your life every day that are trying to convince you of what your purpose or life should be. And if you're a young person here, this is true for you as well. So true. Think about all the things that are pulling you, that are telling you this is what your life should be about. This is what makes your life important. This is what gives your life purpose, something different than Jesus. You'll face this tomorrow, whether it's an ad on TV, whether it's an article you read, whether it's a conversation you have with a friend, or whether it's an internal conversation that you have on your own, pulling you to pledge your allegiance here. This is where you invest your time. This is where you should invest your energy. This is where you should invest your money. This is what you should strive for trying to pull you further and further away from Jesus, this different king. So let me ask you this, wherever you are in your relationship with Jesus, whether you don't have one and you're just curious, whether you have one, it feels like it's kind of grown stale or dry, whether you have one and you're excited as you can be about him and the relationship that you have, for all of us to reflect on this, what if the purpose of your life is not to live out this dream? to put X number of dollars in your bank account, to have a certain type of house in a certain type of neighborhood? What if that's not the ultimate purpose? And what I mean by this is there is some of these things there's absolutely nothing wrong with. It's only when we begin to worship them and make them gods and make them savior. But what if the ultimate purpose isn't to raise the perfect kids who achieve in sports and academics to see to be seen as successful according to this man-made idea of success, to look a certain way, to hold an esteemed title, to, to feel like you've made it? What if the purpose isn't to have necessarily an easy life or get everything that we want. In fact, what if that actually means that we're settling for less? What if God is actually calling you to something more, something that's actually better? Listen here, what if God, the God that created you, the God that formed your inward parts, the God that knows you, is calling you to a life that looks radically different within his kingdom? A life that is marked by humility when others are proud. That shows radical hospitality when others turn their back. That makes time for the least of these when others just walk by. That forgives when no one else would and it doesn't make sense. That serves when others look to take. That encourages and builds up when others tear down. That sacrifices when it's not easy that loves even when it isn't reciprocated, that counts the cost and will follow Jesus. A life that says your will over my will. A life that says, God, let my desires be your desires and let my desires that are not fall away. 
a life that seeks to expand the mission and message of the gospel, not the mission and message of self. To love without strings attached, to live a countercultural life under a countercultural king. I'll tell you what, this is not the American dream. But I will let you in on a secret. The American dream will let you down. It'll wear you out. It may even crush you. That's not what God wants for you. I mean, you just look around our country, look around our world. Lost health, lost jobs, a war, economic uncertainty, fear of the unknown, things not working out according to plan, worn out day after day trying to keep up. People are and will always continue to look for lasting hope. The beautiful thing is we have the answer. It's Jesus. This begs this question again that we would ask, as you think about Jesus, what kind of king do you expect him to be? Now, for some of us, we view Jesus sort of like an ATM, right? We'll go make a withdrawal when we need to, when things get dicey. But then when we make that withdrawal and we're good, we kind of want him to sit over here and not really bother us and, and to kind of leave us to go live the life we want to live. Some of us expect Jesus to be a lucky charm. It's kind of like, hey, better with him than without him, right? Like, thank you, Jesus, for being here. Some of us, maybe we approach Jesus sort of like an if-then Jesus. Like, all right, if I do this, he's going to give me that. If I have this good desire, he's going to meet that desire. And this can leave us incredibly frustrated, especially when we have good desires that go unmet. Things that don't make sense to us but yet do make sense within his plan. Some of you are there, and man, I've been there. <laughs> I wanted Jesus to give me what I wanted when I wanted it for seven years, and he didn't do that. And then Silas arrived, the kid that uh, Pastor Paul had to have on his shoulder, because he was not going to hold one of those branches this morning. <laughs> he refused in the back. He was not going to do it. But as I look at this three-year-old and I think about that journey and I think about these good desires that weren't met and I think about what I wanted Jesus to be when I wanted him to be it and I wanted him to give me all these things when I wanted it, there's such a big part of me that's so glad that he didn't because I can't imagine life without my son. He's a very different kind of king, but this is tough. It's not easy. It can leave us in a place of tension, feeling disappointed. If we feel that Jesus' main purpose is to give us everything we want when we want it, to prevent difficulty in our life, to stay out of the way except for when we need him, to get us into heaven, but simply sit in the passenger seat along for the ride of whatever life we want to live, we're going to be disappointed. Now, does this mean God doesn't want us to be happy and he wants us to go without? Absolutely not. What it means is he doesn't want us to settle for temporary happiness and to be filled with the discontentment that this world offers in over-promising and under-delivering which leaves you truly disappointed. Want some good news? Oh my gosh. <laughs> About a person and a half wants some good news. Want some good news? Yes. Let's get it. Here's what's not disappointing. Here's the beauty of this. Here's why this humble king that would come riding in on a donkey, Jesus, is so radically different and better than any other king and kingdom that's unmatched. Here's why this is the only king, as you sit here today, that's worth your time and worthy of your worship. None of the other things that could pull that seat that you might be tempted to put in that place. Here's why he's better. As we enter Holy Week, think about this. Think about what Jesus 
is going to do. Think about the path that he's going to walk. Imagine the grief as he sits with his friends and he eats this final meal with his friends, telling them that where he's going, they can't follow. Think about the pain and the heartache that would lead Jesus to even pray to the Father in the garden that if there's another way, please allow that way and let this cup pass from me. Imagine the tears as Jesus sees Judas approach and betray him for 30 pieces of silver. Feel the weight as Jesus would be mocked, he would be rejected, he would be spit on, he would be slapped, he would be beaten and nailed to a cross by the same people that five days earlier were yelling and worshiping Hosanna, this God who's come to save us now are now worshiping, are now yelling crucify him. Why does this make him a king that's worthy of your time, of any of our time and worship? Why does this make him a king that's worthy of us laying down our entire life to pick his up that he offers us? Because Jesus is the only one, not the world, not the American dream, nothing else, no political figure, nobody else in your life could do this. Jesus is the only one that walked this path and he did it for you. Selflessly, out of love and care and a heart for you. And you say, wait, you don't know what I've done. Jesus did. Wait, you don't know my background. Jesus does. And he welcomes you in. Not condemned, not rejected, not pushed to the side, not passed over. He says, I gave my life for you. And so if you are tired of giving yourself over to counterfeit kings and counterfeit kingdoms, if you want a king who knows you, if you want a king who knows your past and accepts you, forgives you, gave himself for you, who knows your fears, who offers you comfort, who promises that in the middle of the unknown, of the darkness of the valley, of the anxieties of our hearts, he promises to walk with you, to not leave you alone. A king that is far more powerful than anything this world could throw at it and is far better than anything this world could actually offer you that will not give you what your heart truly desires. A king that makes promises that he won't break, even though others make promises all the time. The promises he has a plan for you, and it's a plan for good. It may not look according to your agenda or your plan or your timing, but it's better. That will make right every wrong. A king who offers unconditional love to take your brokenness and make you whole, to take your worst and give you his best, who doesn't condemn, doesn't leave you, doesn't use you, doesn't abuse you, doesn't leave you out in the cold, but offers you an eternal family to be a part of. So you'll never feel like an outsider. You'll never go lonely. A life beyond this life in his presence where there's no more pain, where there's no more striving for goals that are man-made, where there's no more pressure. A king who calls you friend, this king of kings with a kingdom that's unshakable. This is our king. This is Jesus. And that's a king. And this is a different kind of king. And this is a countercultural king. And this is a king, as Pastor Paul said in the first service, and it hit me not only risk his life, but laid down his life. Man, my heart beats for you as a pastor just to encourage you don't give yourself up to counterfeits. Don't try to make Jesus into something he's not and has never been. There's no greater king to give yourself to than him, the one that would give himself for you. 
Maybe today you don't have a relationship with him. Maybe today's that day you need to meet him. And I'll tell you what, he's not going to meet you begrudgingly. His arms are wide open for you. (laughs) Come as you are. He will welcome you in. That's the big idea for today is that Jesus is a different kind of king and his is a different kind of kingdom. As we think about responding today, maybe the important question is not what kind of king did you expect, but is Jesus the king you'll accept? I'm not just talking to those who might not have a relationship with him. I'm talking to those of us who are believers because every day there is this tension. Is this a king that you'll lay down your life to? Is this a king that you will say your desires over my desires? God, give me your heart for you, for others. This means handing over our desires, taking up his. This means handing over our demands, loosening, loosening our fists and resting in his care to give him our anxieties and to trust in his goodness. If you want a king that's conquered sin and death on your behalf, that gives you a helper, the Holy Spirit, to walk with you day in and day out in this life until you see Jesus in the next, that offers not a life of burden, but a life of freedom and purpose under his finished work through the cross, then expect Jesus the one who the grave couldn't hold, that was able to take all of your sin, nail it to the cross, and leave it. The one that death couldn't defeat. The humble, loving, gracious, and kind, eternal conquering king. This is Jesus. May this be our king. And may we celebrate being a part of his kingdom. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for who you are. May we embrace you as king. May we embrace your kingdom. May we live a life radically different. May we not give in to counterfeit gods, counterfeit kingdoms. As hard as it is, as much as it pushes on our pride, as much as we want to dismiss this message, as much as we want to forget about it, as much as we want to even sort of manipulate and blend both this dream and your dream, God, would we ultimately surrender to you? Would we realize that the life you offer is so much better? Jesus, for not only this life, but for the next. So God, may we as a church, may we as a people glorify you. Singing your praises. Jesus, I have no idea who all is in this room today with different situations going on, different tensions, different challenges, but I do pray this, and I pray that we as a church would pray this, that even in these next moments, um, I didn't do this in the first service. I'd, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be in the back. Uh, if, if you don't know Jesus today, let's, let's see that changed. Man, he wants to welcome you into the family. Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. We pray this in your name. Amen.